Okay, folks, welcome back to uh, session number six, our final time together here. Um, at the end of the session, by the way, as we did yesterday at the end of our session uh, last evening, uh, incidentally, last evening, the session ended at 4.45. You know when I walked out here? After 7 o'clock. After, what did I say? After 7. And I bumped into people out there, but we're not going to about that. But just, I never got out of here till after 7. What I'm saying, I'm willing to stay. It's just that there's so much information to share with you on these topics. I don't have time for question and answer during the hour. So I go for 15 minutes straight. Okay, and I try to see if everybody's still awake. So far, I haven't seen anybody falling asleep. So we'll keep moving here with the material. But when the session is over, I'm willing to chat today. And I'll be over there at Admins of Firm booth all afternoon from like 1 o'clock till, till sunset whenever the booths close. So I'm willing to talk with people on any of these issues and provide more material and more biblical guidance on these. It's just here we don't have time to get to the question and answer because there isn't time. The topics are so large. I'm just, as I've said before, I'm trying to provide sufficient biblical evidence, scientific evidence, social science as well to give you direction for you to know which direction the overwhelming truth goes. And I'm saying that truth. Uh, we were talking in the break here about the many lies that are being promoted as though they were truth. And sometimes I believe people are doing it innocently. Somebody just brought me a newspaper from, from Andrews University in the student movement. What one guy was writing there. And I said, you know, maybe this young person who wrote this, a very good writer, believes what he's writing. But it's lies. He's been lied to by somebody. I'm not saying he's a liar, you get it? But he's been lied to by others and he is just spouting the lies. So one of the things we're trying to do here is provide you truth. The foundation of the truth is what? The Bible. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, we pray that you'll bless us as we open your holy word. Father, this is a difficult topic, traumatic one, a contentious topic. However, thank you, Lord, that you have provided in your holy word principles and clear answers for issues that trouble us even today. May we be faithful to the written word so that we can get to know the living word better. We submit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I've titled this talk, Marriage for Mankind. A little pun there intentionally. As you know, so the topic we're going to deal with is homosexuality. And I want to start here, this session, by just mentioning a few of the current things that have been shown. This, by the way, right here, I am in the state of California. You are right now as we are here at the GYC session, June 27, 2008. A big cover picture in the San Francisco Chronicle. I never thought it would happen in our lifetime. And what is that talking about? Homosexual marriage. Okay, big issue in this state, big issue around the world. In fact, the last I checked, there were five countries in which five countries, the complete country, is pro-homosexual marriage. Netherlands, Belgium, Spain, Canada, and guess who's number five? South Africa, my home country. See, a few years ago, year 2000, polygamy became legal. So first, multiple marriages were okay. Now, homosexuality is fully legal. Uh, I believe it was like a, one or two or so years ago. But you know, it's interesting, as you listen to the discussions of the issues, you'll notice people making things like statements such as these. What matters is doing the right thing. What matters is, is what? Is standing up on principle. Guess who is speaking? Gavin Newsom. The mayor of San Francisco. And what is he talking about? Promoting homosexuality. Now, as you're, if you're a Christian, you hear those statements, standing up in principle, doing the right thing. It sounds like Christian. They use our language to promote their agenda. Be careful, folks. Be careful. We talked about mind games the very first session. Mind games of the great manipulator. Ah, this is what's happening. But the truth is, listen to this. One person has said this. To redefine marriage... Rebecca Hagelin is her name. The very core of what we know as family is to wreak havoc on every other institution that holds our country together. 
from the legal system to interstate commerce to healthcare to neighborhood, everything would eventually fall apart. Why? Because the nuclear family, starting with the marriage of one man and one woman, is the very foundation of the entire human race and every single civil society since the beginning of time. That is in a book called The Beginning of the End of America. The Beginning of the End of America. Now, you know what's happened in Canada, by the way. Anybody here from Canada? Any Canadians? Uh, a couple of you, three, four, five, six hands. You know what happened in Canada? After they said yes to gay marriage, the Supreme Court voted that from now onwards, the Supreme Court of Canada, in the year 2005, about six months after okaying gay marriage, the Supreme Court concluded that group sex is now okay in Canada. Yep, group sex. See, step one, step two. Oh, interesting. Where are they headed? Oh, and down the road, folks. Now, what's interesting is the latest issue of Newsweek that came out this week. You'll notice I tried to keep you guys updated. In our previous session, I talked about December 16th. This is December 15th, this very week. The front page of Newsweek, had, this is the cover, and it says what? The religious case for gay marriage. And you read it, it's a total twisting of scripture. They, com they complained about uh, faithful Christians saying, oh, they're literalists. But then, when it suits them, they become literalists themselves. <laughs> and they quote David, who says, I love Jonathan more than any women. So they pick and choose whatever they want to do. It's one of the worst examples of how, or one of the best examples of how to twist the Bible to suit what you want to believe. Some of you might have seen this People magazine. I don't subscribe, but I saw it in the grocery stand as I went out, and I had to pick up a copy, because here's one of the most well-loved Secularly speaking, well-known talk show hosts. Her name is Ellen Degenerate. <laughs> okay. So I'm degenerous. You're right. But you know what I'm talking about. Out there promoting degenerate lifestyle, we're talking as Christians. That's a degenerate lifestyle, folks. We've got to call a spade a spade. It is time that we as young people and others need to stand up and call sin by its what? Right name. right name. It's time to stop sidestepping and saying, oh, it's just an alternative lifestyle. It's not. The Bible calls it what? An abomination. We'll get to that in a minute. But you know, that's what's being hawked out there. That's what's being promoted. And yet people ignore the fact that it is statistically proven. I'm quoting now that, listen to this. Okay. Home life expectancy for an active homosexual. Does anybody know how much less than the average male in America? If you're an active homosexual versus the average male in America, how, many, how much early would you die? How many years less do you live on average? 20. 20 years less for an active homosexual. That is statistically proven. If you're an active homosexual, you die 20 years before other males. Oh, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Don't believe the lie of the great deceiver. In New York, they've opened an entire school just for homosexuals. High school. High school. Okay. It's called the Harvey Milk High School. Ah. And not that. That's, that's not enough. Guess what they do now? There's a book that is now in the library for children six years of age and up. The title of the book, King and King. It's a story that starts off very innocently. The queen is getting old, and she realizes uh, she needs to have somebody take her place, and the prince is there. And so what happens? The, uh, before she steps on, she wants the prince to find a wife. So he goes and he searches far and wide for the perfect princess. But in the end, he chooses none of them. Instead, he opts for another prince. Yes, and the 29-page colorful book ends up with a gay wedding, and the two men lived happily ever after for six years of age. They're trying to get the kids when they're young. Okay? This is out there, folks. This is the reality. And not only that, if you disagree, you're in trouble. What happens? There's the Catholic, listen to this, the Catholic Charities of Massachusetts. They refuse to place children in homosexual homes. Okay? As required by Massachusetts law. They then condemn them as discriminatory. Catholic charities do not have now pulled out of the adoption business because they cannot put children where they believe they should be. 
So Catholic charities can't do that anymore. They've closed down that adoption business. Housing in New York, oh, there was a, a, the, the Jewish, an Orthodox Jewish, notice, not liberal, an Orthodox Jewish uh, institution did not want to have same-sex couples in the dormitory. Well, somebody sued. Uh, New, because New York, uh, um, uh, they sued in the state, and now Yeshiva University, is con uh, they said they have, are involved in sexual discrimination. And guess what? Right now, this Orthodox Jewish higher school of uh, higher in uh, learning allows, allows same-sex couples in their dorm, even though they are an Orthodox Jewish institution, because they were sued for that. I know of an Adventist, uh, I was told about an Adventist lady who owned a hotel. Now, of course, the big question is, how could she have a hotel? What did she do on Sabbaths and all that? Big questions on that issue. But, you know, she refused to rent rooms to a homosexual couple once in Canada. She said, sorry, I can't have you stay in my hotel. I'm a Christian. The homosexuals came to her hotel and picketed her day in and day out. Eventually, she sold up. She couldn't have any more business. In other words, if you are a conscientious believer, they force you to give up your business. They force you to change, you to withdraw from adoption services. All kinds of things are happening. There's a woman who was a Christian and her husband who was in wedding photography. And they, on, online they had their own website and they advertised for it. And a, a, a same-sex couple from Albuquerque asked the photographer if she would do their commitment ceremony. Because in Albuquerque, in New Mexico, there's no gay marriage allowed. The photographer declined, saying her Christian beliefs prevented her from sanctioning same-sex unions. The couple sued and won. And the photographer was found guilty of discrimination. If you're a photographer and somebody who is, who are, you've got to take their picture for their wedding. Guess what happened? Okay, they were ordered to pay the lesbian couple's legal fees, $6,600. And the photographer is appealing. And the last I had heard, if I remember, is that they decided to get out of the photography business. In other words, it's not just a matter of they want to live their own lifestyle. They want to live the lifestyle. Now I'm saying they. We'll get to the issue of what about Christians? We're talking about secular right now. I mean, what about Christians who are struggling with the same issue? But the secular people are trying to force that upon us. Who's saying, I can't be involved in, f in promoting this and fostering this type of thing. I'm a Christian. I want to only promote Christian ideals. Huge problems out there. And what's more interesting is that the guy in Michigan recently sued Zondervan because they published a Bible. They pub Zondervan publishes Bibles. A Michigan man by the name of Bradley Fowler a practicing homosexual is seeking $70 million from two Christian publishers for emotional distress and mental instability during the past 20 years because the Bible refers to homosexuality as a sin. <laughs> and these Christian publishers actually had the audacity to publish the Bible. You get it? You get their thinking? So he's saying, these guys owe me $70 million for distress because, he said, the word homosexual was in the Bible that you published and it made him an outcast from his family, contributed to his physical discomfort and periods of demoralization, chaos and bewilderment. And so now he is suing the Bible publisher for publishing the Bible. Oh, wow. <laughs> Unbelievable, okay? Unbelievable. <laughs> ah, now, you know why I'm I don't have time for discussion. I just got to give you the information here. And by the way, the resources and the stuff I, I share with you here. And the saddest fact, folks, is this. That amongst us, let's get to, the, to ourselves. We're talking about out there. Let's get to ourselves now. They are Adventists. I got here a well-known, prolific writer, a young person who is an editor of one of our actual church magazines and journals, he says, in a nutshell, homosexuality is not an important moral issue. Ah, there are just a five, a handful of texts in the Bible that speak against it. Another professor I mentioned as I started these sessions at uh, uh, the beginning says that, um, listen to this, I've come to the conclusion, this is a professor of an Adventist university in the United States, he says, I've come to the conclusion that homosexuality and heterosexuality are moral equivalents. It's identical. Whether you're homosexual or heterosexual, it's okay. And he comes to that conclusion based upon what? He tells us, he says, after a consideration of the interplay of scripture, nature, science, history, culture, then and now, psychology, sociology, and pastoral care, then he says, a real messy soup in my mind, if you ask me. 
Then he says, with all of that, I've come to the conclusion that homosexuality and heterosexuality are moral equivalents. Then he admits in the next paragraph, it may be that I'm giving extra biblical factors too much say. And I say, Amen. The Bible is the foundation, not all of these other things that have got you to be confused. The sad thing, he's not alone. Another professor at another institution says, intimate love, Adventist professor at an Adventist institution in the United States, intimate love, that is sex, within a committed relationship is the closest we get to true unity with another person. And I just cannot find it within me to believe that God, the creator of love, would deny anyone the chance to experience love fully. Another professor in the United States also has come up and basically said, loving, this is a professor of New Testament, by the way, loving same-sex relationships in Christ are okay. That's what... This is here in these United States. These are Adventist professors who are saying this, and they're publishing it, and they're writing it. Okay, I want you to be aware of what's going out there. But all of this, by the way, I believe, as I've read and studied on this topic for the last 20-something years, go back to 1985, when a personal friend of mine wrote an article published in Spectre magazine. Don't waste your time reading that. Unless you want to be messed up, don't waste your time. I'm serious. Spectrum Magazine used to be a spectrum. They had both, part, both sides back in the 70s. They became Selectrum. All right? They, they haven't changed their name, but they become Selectrum. It's only wild, liberal garbage. Unfortunately, that's the truth. We're going to call a spade a spade. Are we here together? Amen. Okay? I'm not talking about the people. Some of the people are my personal friends. Okay? I know them for years. I love them. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not talking about them as individuals. These are my friends, by the way. Okay? So, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the stuff that's in there. But way back then, one of my friends, he's a friend of mine to this day, he wrote an article promoting in 1985 saying that the church should accept practicing homosexuals on one condition, that they remain faithful to their partner. And this is one of the leaders at one of our institutions. For more than 20 years, he's still there promoting homosexuality. Okay? In our educational institution. And what is it based upon? To a large degree, it's almost like this article that came out in Time magazine a few years ago. 2000, uh, I think it was 2000 and, uh, um, let's see, the year 1994. That's right, several years ago. This article came out and it says, Infidelity, subtitle, it may be in our what? in our genes. Now, by the way, they misspelled the word genes, okay? Uh, you know what I mean by that. <laughs> okay. They really should have said J-E-A-N-S. But you see what they're doing. The, these the pseudoscientists, I mean that pseudoscientists, are saying, oh, we are made that way. And in this, they actually claim, and I've mentioned this before, they said, um, uh, listen to this, um, Everyone, every human being, basically males, you have a predisposition towards being unfaithful, towards committing adultery, okay? You are designed that way in a sense. They say, then they say, how can evolutionary psychologists be so sure? They answer, Time Magazine, in part, their faith, notice the word they use, their faith rests on the whole database of evolutionary biology. Aha! Now you see where they're coming from. When you believe in evolution, that you're just an animal, notice the word, an animal, no moral sensitivity, then you believe all the lies about your genes made you do it. But let's get serious. I want you to write this reference down. His name is John, J-O-H-N, J, initial J, Reiti. And I'll tell you why. I'll write his name down. You'll, you'll never be sorry you wrote it down because you can get this resource free by going online to the Library of Congress. John Ratey, R-A-T-E-Y, R-A-T-E-Y. Go online to the Library of Congress. You know the, the website, it's simply uh, uh, www.loc, Library of Congress, loc.gov, or just go for a Google search, Library of Congress. Go there to the Library of Congress, www.loc.gov. Go there and check on this book by John Ratey, R-A-T-E-Y. By the way, he's a neuropsychiatrist. Guess where? Harvard University. Serious guy. He wrote this book in 2002. Okay, 2002. And the name of the book? 
a user's guide to the brain. A user's guide to the brain. Now, by the way, I did this myself. I went online and I had to wade through several pages, so I'm going to help it make it easier for you. If you want to find what I'm going to quote here, you have to get scroll down to the section called Nature or Nurture. <laughs> you got to hunt for this, okay? You say, where was this paragraph? I can't read hundreds of or many pages. Go to the subheading Nature or Nurture, and you go down about, uh, say, 10 paragraphs to the last paragraph of the subsection Nature or Nurture. Now listen to what John Rady, neuropsychiatrist at Harvard University says. Are you ready? He says, genes, talking about genes, is it in our genes? He says, genes do not make a man gay or violent or fat or a leader. Now if you know anything about science, listen to his next statement. This is in one paragraph. Genes merely make proteins. That's true. Genes merely make proteins. Now notice the rest. The chemical effect of these proteins may make the man's brain and body more receptive to certain environmental influences, but the extent of those influences will have as much to do with the outcome as the genes themselves. Now listen to the rest. I'm continuing. I'm not leaving any sentence, any words out. He sounds now just like somebody else. Tell me who he sounds like. Furthermore, we humans are not prisoners of our genes or our environment. We have free will. Who does he sound like? Right. Yes, like Jesus. Say, you have a choice. Okay. The Bible, choose you this day. And when I read this, I said, because he writes in modern language, I thought, he sounds like Ellen White writing here. To me, it sounds like Ellen White. We are not prisoners of our genes or environment. We have free will. Forget the pseudoscientists out there. This is a guy at Harvard University. Now, let's go to Ellen White. I said he sounded like Ellen White to me. Listen to what Ellen White says here in, uh, in her comments. She's commenting on a text, and this is found in the SDA Bible Commentary. SDA Bible Commentary. Uh, and in the comments on 2 Corinthians, uh, you'll find the comments there. And I'll give you another easier reference in a minute. But she says this. God makes no compromise with sin. A genuine conversion, notice, a genuine conversion, not a pseudo-conversion, okay? There's a big difference. A genuine conversion changes hereditary and cultivated tendencies to wrong. You believe that? Yes. So maybe I'm born with certain tendencies. Maybe I struggle with it. So let me give you an easier quote. You can find this one in the famous book, the well-loved book, The Desire of Ages. D.A. 671. Go to Desire of Ages, page 671. And here is the clearest, most powerful statement from Ellen White. We'll get to the Bible, by the way. I'm keeping the most important passage for the end as the capstone of all of our discussion here, of all of my sharing. But here is from Ellen, in Ellen White's words, and we get to that biblical statement at the end today. But listen to her way she puts it. Desire of Ages, page 671. Are you ready? Christ has given His Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember? He sent the Holy Spirit. He said, I go away, the Comforter, the one who will guide you into all truth. Christ has given His Spirit as a divine power to overcome. By the way, do we believe we must live as overcomers? Do you believe that? Amen. That's right. The book of Revelation. To Him who overcomes. To Him who overcomes repeatedly. Okay. So Christ has given His Spirit as a divine power to overcome what? All, not some, not most, all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Right? All, including if you have a cultivated or hereditary tendency towards the evil. In our, in our sharing today, the issue we're talking about is the issue of homosexuality. She says categorically, Christ has given His Spirit to provide the divine power to overcome that and to impress His own character upon His church. Thankfully, thankfully, there are not just dissident, misinformed, liberal voices out there. There are some Praise God, Bible-believing Adventist voices out there who are talking about, let's get back to the Word of God. Let's stop this confusion about the false or the pseudoscience out there. And here was one, I thank God for Pastor Dwight Nelson. He wrote an article on the issue of homosexuality. It was in the student movement 
1997, in which he says, and I want you to open your Bibles, uh, I'll read the statement, go to, go to Genesis chapter 1. But here, Pastor Dwight Nelson, Dr. Nelson says, human sexual intimacy is to be shared only within the protective parameters or boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. Look, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. This is where God established the pattern for us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. I'm going to read those texts because Pastor Nelson refers to them here as he made that statement. And then I want to finish what he says and I'll go deeper into Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. Now he refers us to Genesis 1, 27, 28. And notice, verse 27, 28. It says here, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish over the, of the sea, over the bird of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then also, Pastor Nelson refers us to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. So let's go to the next chapter. Genesis chapter 2, 23 and 24. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So Pastor Nelson takes us back to the beginning. And by the way, that's what Jesus said. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Now here's what he also says. Please listen carefully. Are you ready? All sexual expression between all human beings okay must be celebrated the way God intended it for us. And I said, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Jesus, he says, he's correct, was a, he grew up a red-blooded Jewish male with all the full orb realities of adolescence and hormonal drives. Okay? And then he says, but Jesus chose to live his life in celibacy. He never got married. Jesus asks no more of you and me than what he himself was willing to live. If you need to, be celibate, is what, he, what Pastor Nelson is saying. And Jesus did it successfully in the same manner that in which you and I too can do it. How? By total dependence upon his Father. By the way, let's go back to Genesis. I want you to look a little more deeply. Did you notice the way the language is there? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27-28. God creates a male, notice the language, who is to be married to a female. He tells them to be fruitful. Okay? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, he takes a rib from the man, makes it into a woman. He gives her to the man. The woman was taken out of the man. Verse 23, a man leaves his parents and is joined to his wife. Repeatedly, in an incontrovertible way, we know that the original marriage was what? Heterosexual. That's the way God set it up. Now, I know there are people saying, oh, but, but, but the Bible is a cultural document. Come on. Be real. It's culture-oriented. And there's a guy who wrote a book, by the way, called Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals. Subtitle, Exploring the Hermeneutics of Cultural Analysis. So let's see. Let's go look in the culture. Let's say, what do we find from the culture? And he does a careful study, make a long story short, for example, on slaves. He shows that if you read the Bible carefully and you recognize the actual culture that is brought out in the text, you will notice that slavery was never promoted, actually. And, and slavery was slowly, what's the best word, uh, taken apart step by step. And the Bible is pointing out in, in a positive direction to bring people up to God's ideal. He has done a careful scientific cultural analysis of that, hermeneutically sound. Then he does a study of women and then he does a study of homosexuality. And notice his conclusions on homosexuality. After a careful cultural analysis, he says this. Just read you part of this one paragraph as we end. Because there are people that say, oh, but the culture. No, no, listen carefully. The cultural environment and Israel's theocratic setting, remember, they were theocracy under God, may have influenced the severity of the Old Testament penal code, which called for the death penalty for homosexual behavior. Did you know that? Under ancient civil law of the Israelites, if you were a homosexual, you were executed. Okay? That was the civil penalty. Then he goes further. Having studied this through, he says, Yet, notice, the inherent negative assessment of homosexual activity itself retains a transcultural dimension. Thus, at least, this prohibitive 
aspect of the homosexuality texts should be viewed as transcultural and applied as such within the Christian community today. Although it is not a popular stance today, only by retaining heterosexuality as normative and homosexuality as aberrant do we perpetuate the redemptive spirit of that text as it was invoked in the original setting. By the way, that's scholarly language. In a nutshell, some of the time these scholars, I'm a scholar, we talk in a very obtuse way. In simple terms, if you study the Bible, according to the culture, homosexuality was not a cultural issue, it was a morally unacceptable thing if you study the Bible carefully. By the way, now, what about a biblical perspective? That's looking at it from a cultural, a cultural anal analysis. Here's one of the books I would highly recommend. It's called Out of Order. You've heard, I'm coming out. Well, I think he, he had a pun on this. Out of Order. Out of Order. Uh, it's a, not an Adventist, but it's a Christian. It's by Donald Wold. W-O-L-D. It's a careful, responsible, deep study of Scripture. As I mentioned before, the casual reader of the Bible, like some of our writers, oh, there are only five texts in the Bible that speak against homosexuality. That's because they have not studied their Bibles. Casual readers have not. The careful reader finds many, many Scriptures from Genesis all the way through. Lots of scriptures, as here you'll see in this careful study. And this writer, Donald Wold, out of order, subtitle, Homosexuality in the Bible and the Ancient Near East, writes this. In conclusion, are you ready? In the language of Paul, by inspiration, the terms for homosexuality are combined with others in a list of sins. By the way, Paul is fair. He doesn't single out homosexuality. We're going to get to that text. Maybe we should go there right now, because somebody might say, oh, you're just jumping on homosexuality. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as an example. Paul, by the way, under inspiration, wrote quite a bit about this problem of homosexuality. And we're going to look at what the biblical answers to, uh, to it are in a few moments. But let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, just so that you know, we're, we're only talking about this because it's an issue, and that's the topic for today. But when Paul wrote by inspiration, he included a whole list of sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and notice, he puts them all together. Do you not know, verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? If you're unrighteous, you won't be there. What does unrighteous mean, you say to Paul? He says, do not be deceived. Here it is. I'm going to give you examples now. Neither fornicators, notice Paul doesn't say, neither those who are sexually active. Paul calls a spade a spade. <laughs> he calls sin by its right name, all right? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, this is the New King James Version, nor thieves, huh, hold on, he's not done, nor what? Covetous. Paul puts them all together. Did you notice that? He has thieves and those who are coveting right there with homosexuals and adulterers and fornicators. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Sin, folks, is sin in God's sight. Are we together here? Okay? Now we'll come to the solution in, in a little bit. But I just want you to know, we have to be focusing on this because that's a topic for, for my sharing today. So when Paul talks about it, he makes it clear that this is one of the sins with others. Scripture does not condemn the, the person. There's a merciful provision which we're going to go to in a few minutes here. But so when you read the book, this book gives you hope. I want to recommend the book for reading out of Order, and uh, by Donald Wold, a very, very good book on homosexuality. Now, but that's just the beginning. I would recommend this book more for a comprehensive covering of all these issues. Now, if you want to see the best material that has come out, taking about 20 years to write, just the bibliography, the listing of the books, you know, just to list which books he looked at, which books he studied, just the list of all the books takes 140 pages. 140 pages of bibliography alone. The book is uh, about 900 pages long. 880, I believe. And the name of the book, Flame of Yahweh. Flame of Yahweh. Subtitle, Sexuality in the Old Testament. Yes, he goes to the New Testament also uh, in the final chapter, but his focus is Old Testament, sexuality in the Old Testament. 
The, the writer is a solid Bible-believing Ellen G. White Spirit of Prophecy confirming professor at Andrews University, Richard Davidson. Richard Davidson. And it was published by Hendrickson Press, not Adventist, published out there. Hopefully more people will read it. You know, Hendrickson Press, and this just came off the press, I believe it was like last year, 2007. And Dr. Davidson has done a careful study of the language, of the text, of the context, and everything. I want to just point out a couple of his conclusions here, because I have a few more things and a lot of hope to share with you as we end up. But I'm providing resources so you can know. You can get this on Amazon.com, okay? Uh, pretty much less even than you pay at a bookstore. But go ahead and check it out. Summary. Our examination of the relevant passages throughout the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, has revealed a consistent and clear condemnation of homosexual practice. After surveying the evidence of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, Richard Hayes, a non-Adventist New Testament scholar and an ethicist and ethics professor, summarizes the biblical witness as follows. Okay, this is what Hayes... Now, Dr. Davidson is quoting Hayes. It's good to quote others also, and showing that others have come to the same conclusion that you have from a deep study of the Bible. This is what he says. Hayes says the following. Though only a few biblical texts speak of homoerotic activity, all that do mention it ex express unqualified disapproval. The biblical witness against homosexual practice is uh, as univocal, by the way. Speaks with one voice, univocal. Scripture offers no loopholes or exception clauses that might allow for the acceptance of homosexual practices under some circumstances. Despite the efforts of some recent interpreters to explain away the evidence, the Bible remains unambiguous and univocal in its condemnation of homosexual conducts. Now, that's a non-Adventist who echoes what this Adventist scholar has discovered. Dr. Davidson says, I fully concur with Hayes' assessment. Not only is there univocal condemnation of homosexual practice throughout Scripture, as shown above, numerous lines of evidence connected to the Levitical legislation point to the universal, transcultural, and permanent transtemporal nature of the prohibition against homosexual activity. But that's not the end. The biblical materials condemn homosexual practice. Now notice, okay, but there is hope. Even the thoughts, by the way, are to be kept pure. We know that. And sexual temptations arising from the fallen nature orientation are to be resisted, both heterosexual and homosexual. Likewise, as will become evident regarding temptations to adultery, divine power is available to enable human beings to live above their sinful tendencies and natures. What do you say? There is divine power. And this is published by Hendrickson Press. Let's give you, let me give you one more thing at the end of the book. So that's the near the beginning kind of. I say near the beginning, that's like page 170. Now we go towards the, towards the end, 634. Okay, towards the end. Just a couple of statements here. The quotation of Genesis 1 verse 27 and 2 verse 23 by Jesus. By the, you know that Jesus quotes Genesis 1 27 and Jesus quotes Genesis 2 23. And Jesus quotes those texts in Mark chapter 10 verses 6 through 8. So if you look at Mark 10, 6 through 8, you'll see Jesus quoting them. The quotation of Jesus makes explicit the point of heterosexual relationships. What does Jesus say? But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two, man and woman, shall become one flesh. Dr. Davidson now says, Jesus' emphasis on the fact that God made this arrangement from the beginning of creation demonstrates his, that's Christ's acceptance of the prescriptive nature of the creation text and Christ's understanding that heterosexual, not homosexual, relations are divinely ordained in Genesis 1 and 2. So Davidson goes back and says, what did Jesus say? Isn't that right? Jesus says, this is the way God established it, that's the way it was from the beginning. And what's more important, another text that few people have looked at, I even myself didn't even think about this, is Acts chapter 15. If you read the Bible carefully, in Acts 15, they came along to the first Jerusalem council and they said, what shall we expect of the Gentiles who will be becoming Christians? 
Should we require them to be circumcised? And the answer I'm summarizing and paraphrasing, no, they don't need to be circumcised to become Gentiles. However, they must abstain from uh, strangled animals, they must abstain from um, meat offered to idols, they must abstain from blood, and they must abstain from porneia. Now those same four obligations in the same order are coming directly from Leviticus chapter 17 and 18. And several scholars recognize that. The word porneia is a Greek word meaning sexual immorality. And when you go to Leviticus and you ask what kind of sexual immorality, and guess what Leviticus says? Adultery, polygamy, sex with animals called bestiality, homosexuality, all of them are in Leviticus. And so when Acts chapter 15, when the new Christians were coming to join the early church, they said, what must we give up? And the, the Greek is, you must up echomai, you must give up your porneia, your sexual immorality. That includes polygamy, adultery, bestiality, and homosexuality. The early church told their converts if they wanted to be Christians, they could not be practicing Christians and homosexuals at the same time. You read the Bible carefully, you can find lots of biblical evidence that call for that. But that's not the end. We've got to give you the good news. We've got to hurry on here. I'm watching the clock. We've got 15 minutes. It is, there's so much material, folks, that I just, I've got to quickly here to tell you the good news. People always want to know, what does the church believe? What does the Seventh-day Adventist Church officially hold on this issue? You want to know? Yeah. Okay, here it is. Because of all the things happening around the world, the homosexual marriages being okayed in different countries, the General Conference actually reminded people of what was voted. I even didn't, didn't know. I forgot about it. Okay? So... Because of what's happening, they decided to remind everybody. And this was published in the year 2004, reminding people of what was voted back in 1999. Here's our official statement, by the way. For centuries, that which for centuries had been considered to be basic Christian morality in the marriage setting is now increasingly called into question, not only in secular society, but within Christian churches themselves, the statement says. We, Adventists, reaffirm without hesitation our long standing position. Which is what, you're asking? Hold on. That position, by the way, is drawn from the Bible and is summarized in the church's fundamental beliefs. You know we have 28 fundamental beliefs? And this is what it says. I'm quoting from the fundamental beliefs. Marriage was divinely established in Eden and affirmed by Jesus to be a lifelong union between a man and a woman in loving companionship. What about homosexuality, you're asking? Hold on. The church restated its belief that, I'm quoting now, homosexuality, here's the official church position, homosexuality is a manifestation of the disorder and brokenness in human inclinations and relations caused by sin coming into the world. While everyone is subject to fallen human nature, we also believe that by God's grace and through the encouragement of the community of faith, an individual may live in harmony with the principles of God's Word. You believe that? Amen. That's right. That's our position. We believe as an Adventist church, homosexuality is not part of God's plan. It is sin. Therefore, we must, by God's grace, allow him to bring about the transformation. Incidentally, in an article that was published in the LA Times, Los Angeles Times, we're in California. I like to bring stuff from this state we're in. All right, I don't mean the lackadaisical Laodicean state we're in. All right, I'm talking about the actual <laughs> physical state. We're in California now, but by God's grace, we are not Laodicean. We are, that's why you're here. Isn't that why you're here? Amen. Yes, you are alive for the Lord. You want to go and share the good news of God's transforming power. This was in the LA Times in California. This is what it says. Liberal Christianity is paying for its sins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. This is the LA Times. Secular magazine, yes. Listen to what they say. Following the Episcopalian lead, the Presbyterians also voted to give local congregations the freedom to openly ordain, uh, to openly or, to ordain openly cohabiting gay and lesbian ministers, and and endorsed the legalization of medical marijuana. These are the churches. And so this article says, you, the, you Christians are paying for your liberal ideas. But let me give you the rest of what's happening. Roger, Rodney Stark, 
sociologist and historian Philip Jenkins contend that the more demands ethical and doctrinal that a faith places upon its adherents, the deeper the adherents commitment to that faith. Evangelical and Pentecostal churches which preach biblical morality are growing robustly both in the United States and around the world. Evangelical churches and Pentecostal churches. Now we are not a Pentecostal church but we are actually an evangelical church meaning we believe that the Bible is God's Word and we need to follow the Bible and practice what God teaches us there. So they're growing and we are part of that. Let's not go and follow the liberals who are paying for their sins. Incidentally, do you know what's happening in Canada? They have calculated now at the loss in the church, in the Anglican church, at the current decline in membership in the year, if the Lord doesn't come, in the year 2061. In 2061, there will be one member left in the Anglican church. <laughs> That's what they have calculated at the current loss of membership. They'll have one left. That's all. The whole church in Canada. And that's the Anglican church. That's the church that here in the United States, the, the American branch, has, have, have an openly ordained gay bishop. So you know what's happening. You go liberal, you die. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's true, folks. That's true. Go biblical, Christ-centered, you grow. Only two people said amen. I've got to repeat that. I'll repeat that. You go liberal, you die. You go biblical, Christ-centered, you thrive. Amen. Yes, that's a reality. Oh, good. Let's go. I have some data here. I have a friend, of, an acquaintance of mine. She actually married a personal friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. Um, she married, they got married. She wrote an article. It's published in a book. I don't even want you to see the cover. You notice I'm keeping it covered. Because remember in the previous session, what did David say? I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. <laughs> Psalm 101. So I don't even want you to know what book I'm quoting out. But here is an Adventist professor at the conservative Adventist University who makes this statement in this book that promotes homosexuality. She, she says, never suggest that a gay or lesbian person engage in sexual orientation change. Never, never suggest that a gay or lesbian person engage, get involved in a sexual orientation change endeavor. Don't tell people they should try to change what they are. And then she says, there is no science-based evidence that such programs work and much evidence that they do great emotional harm to participants. Now this is a book by a professor, but no footnotes. What is she doing? Mouthing lies. Be careful when people make statements and they have no footnotes. These are the liars around us. They, they, they follow what the popular press has done. This is a professor at a conservative Adventist institution. See if I can hide this away. <clears throat> okay, now let me give you the truth. Let me give you the truth. Here's the truth. Are you ready? Oh. I don't want to mention people here because we're dealing with principles, okay? We're dealing with principles. I don't want to recommend this. If you want to come after us in the break and uh, to, to know, be aware and be concerned, but we're not here downing people. Are we together? Yeah. We're uplifting Christ and principles. That's why I don't want to mention those names of people who are deceiving young people. These are the deceivers amongst us. In the year 2007, Ah, good question. In the year 2007, I'll do that. In the year 2007, the truth was released. A study has been done, a careful scientific study, looking at people who were practicing homosexuals. Basically, they believed they were, and they went through, a, 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 they decided to take a chance to see if they could change. They did a four-year study of these people. The book has just been published. I highly recommend it. I bought a copy. Unfortunately, I left it in Michigan. And this morning, I called my wife, and she dictated something that I can t tell you, the results of the study. The name of the book, X-Gays, E-X hyphen G-A-Y-S question mark, okay? That's the title, huge on the cover, X-Gays. The authors of this study are Mark Yarhouse, Y-A-R-H-O-U-S-E, Mark Yarhouse, 
and Stanton Jones, S-T-A-N-T-O-N Jones. They did a careful scientific study, social science, and even, by the way, even the American Psychological Association, the APA, the American Psychological Association that used to call homosexuality aberrant and a perversion. They changed, they said, oh, it's just an alternative lifestyle. But even the American Psychological Society says this is a serious psychological study following all the proper protocols of doing proper study. So they endorse the, the methodology used. And the conclusion, these, these uh, findings, here it is. My, this is what I called my wife about, and she just sent on the phone, page 367. These social scientists have now concluded categorically from a careful social scientific study, quote, we found sufficient evidence to conclude that change of sexual orientation is not impossible. Double negative, which means sexual orientation change is possible. Why did they say that? They studied these people and they found out that, uh, i give you the actual percentages here in brief. The percentage was that, um, uh, let's see, in brief, 29% had modest success modest success, but there was 38% who were successful change. Radical conversion, and of them, um, of that 38%, 15 of the 38% now developed heterosexual attraction, and some of them got married. 23%, you made this 38, 15%, it's a radical change. The 23%, they had a radical conversion, and they're living celibate lives. So 38% are totally changed from that study they did over a long-term study. And 29%, they are still continuing in their, in their activity, still changing, growing. That means more than two-thirds of the people who went through the change uh, program by committed Christians, more than two-thirds have been and are being changed to God's glory by His grace, by His power. God is doing it. This is the study, and guess what? When they were done with the study, a social scientific study with solid scientific methods, not one publisher wanted to publish it. They, they went out for 10 months, almost an entire year, from publisher to publisher, and all of the secular publishers, we won't touch it, we won't touch it. Why not? Why wouldn't the secular publishers touch it? It steps on all the toes of the public media. It is going totally contrary to all the lies that we have been told for the last few decades. They couldn't stomach it, so these guys couldn't find anywhere to publish it. They had to go to an, a Christian publisher. They went to InterVarsity Press. So it was published by IVP in 2007, because all the world does not want to hear this, folks. And sadly, we have Christians in Adventist institutions publishing lies. And people want to know, I will divulge. I won't give you the name of the people, but the book that was published is called Christianity and Homosexuality. And it's edited here by some of our professors. But that's the book. Now, the reason I don't want to promote this is because this book is saturated with lies. Saturated. Keep away from that book. That is a dangerous book. If people recommend it to you, take it, accept it, burn it. <laughs> called Christianity and Homosexuality. Okay, that's what it's called. Take it, burn it. And it's written by people who claim to be Seventh-day Adventists. Some of them are my friends. Some of them I know personally. This is the direction that we are headed. We are in dangerous water when they are promoting and teaching lies here amongst us. Let me give you some hope as we end up here. We've got about three minutes to finish up. Uh, there is truth out there. One of my former students, he was a student of mine years ago at Southern when I was teaching there. He left the minister, he was studying to be a pastor, he left, he got involved in alcohol, and he told me his story himself. He got involved in alcohol, and he got into a homosexual lifestyle, and he lived with his husband for quite some time. I kept calling him, kept calling him, but he never answered my phone calls. And for years, I tried. And when I came back from mission service from Zimbabwe, I got this email from him. It was, I believe, a Friday or a Saturday night. Hi, let's call him Bob. This is Bob. I went to Southern. I'm sure you remember me. Of course I remembered him. He's one of my, my, my theology majors. I have recently had a spiritual awakening and wanted to thank you for your prayers through the years. He knew I was praying for him. He knew because I kept calling him. I said, oh yeah, don't give up on them. Did you hear what I'm saying? Don't give up. He said, I knew. I thank you for your prayers through the years. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to do God's will one day at a time. I just wanted to let you know that I'm grateful 
grateful today for the people who know in their hearts, who, who I know in their hearts never completely gave up on the chance that I might come back to God. Then he ends up with a statement, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When I read that, I called him up. I spent an hour and a half on the phone with him on a Saturday night. I flew to where he, he lived. I spent seven hours with him and I told him and I shared with him the story of God's grace. God can change people. In fact, there's an entire book out called That Kind Can Never Change, Can They? It's by an Adventist pastor who used to be a, a homosexual and he has a whole book about his experience and he called himself then Victor J. Adamson. Pseudonym, he gave himself, now he's come out openly about the change. I think his first name is Ron, if I remember. But Victor J. Adamson, I've met him and he talks about his own experience and the lies that have been promulgated out there. Don't believe the lies. Let's go back to the Bible and let's see the good news at the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You either believe the lies of false science or you believe the Bible. Don't fall for the lies. I already told you about John Rahey who said that genes do not make a man gay. Categorically stated, we have free will. Now we've got the evidence that social science has shown that people who have uh, homosexual orientation can have a change by the power of the gospel. And now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we end off here. We want to give God the glory and I want to show what happens. Let's start with verse 9. 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what won't happen. Now notice verse 11. Here's the good news. Now if you believe this, I want to hear an amen. If you don't, please be quiet, okay? <laughs> be quiet. Let's read that last verse. It's a powerful, exciting verse. And such were some of you. Wait a minute. When it says were, what does that mean? Are they still liars? Are they still covetous? Are they still adulterous? What does it mean? No. Are they still homosexuals? What does that mean? No. no. That's a big lie. Once a homosexual, always a homosexual. I don't believe they are homosexuals once they have changed. By the way, if you, if you were a bank robber and you became an Adventist and you were baptized and now you're the elder of the church, do they introduce you and say, this gentleman is a bank robber? <laughs> Is. Do they say that? What do they say? Was. He was. He no longer is. Why? He's been transformed. There is no such a thing as an Adventist homosexual. Did you hear what I said? There is no such a thing as a Christian homosexual. There, it's impossible. Are we together here? According to the Bible. Am I right or am I wrong? Am I right? Yeah. Let's read the text. Let's go back there. I want to hear when I'm done with the text whether you agree that this is God's word. And such were some of you, but you were washed... But you were sanctified, by the way, washed, symbol of baptism, right? You were sanctified, made holy. Notice the next one, you were justified. What does that mean? You were forgiven. Thank God He forgives our past. Isn't that wonderful news? Okay, you were justified, how? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Good news, folks. That's what God is calling up us to be overcomers. Be careful. There, unfortunately, the deception is flooding the airwaves even in Adventist publications. Okay? I'm an Adventist. I love this church that God raised up. This is the church militant, and by God's grace, He has promised this will be the church triumphant. So let's get back to the Word of God. Let's see what the Bible teaches. Let's look at what the Bible calls upon us to live as overcomers by God's grace. Are you ready for that challenge? Now please be kind to those people. Pray for them. As this student I've been calling Bob, I prayed for him and not just that, I badgered him, okay? That's how he knew I was praying for him. I called him every now and then. Hey Bob, no, you know, leave a voicemail, leave a voicemail. For on and off for about four years. Eventually, when the Lord gets through to them, they'll call you and say, thank you for not giving up on me. God didn't give up on me, but thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers. Be compassionate to those who are struggling with no matter what sin. But we talk about homosexuality. It is clearly against God's will. Call people to the transforming power of the gospel. I want to pray for you today. Let's bow our heads together. Holy Father, thank you for the power 
of the transformation work that your Holy Spirit will work in all of our lives, no matter where and what we need. Thank you for the guarantee from Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that such were some of you, the Scripture says, those who were homosexuals, they were transformed, justified, sanctified by your Spirit. Help us to go out and give people hope. Thank you for the latest scientific evidence in this book that shows irrefutably that those with these difficult challenges of homosexuality can be changed by your power and for your glory. Help us to give people the hope, let them know about Jesus, encourage them on their way. Help us to live affirming, positive, Bible-based, Christ-centered, compassionate lives so that others will be attracted to Jesus our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.